Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey Adam, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Uh, what's going on? Honestly, you know how we normally have a bit where I kind of off the cuff come up with like some sort of pun based on this episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. some sort of fun thing? I don't have anything like that. I've spent more days in the last three weeks not sleeping in my real bed than sleeping <laughs> in my real bed. So I'm very, very tired. And I just, I do not have the mental capacity to come up with a bit right now. Well, we, you know, we, we, we do often uh, start the show off with some sort of corny joke, but uh, this is going to be a fun thing. This is going to be an artist focused episode. Really the best thing for a uh, audio medium is to do an artist focused <laughs> episode. I think we found that out. Well, I mean, we are talking about a visual medium every time we do an episode, right? Yes, but not normally to the extent of the only reason these stories come together is because we like Pepe Larraz. <laughs> yeah, we are talking about uh, Marvel superstar, current X-Men artist extraordinaire, Pepe Larraz, and some X-Men stories that were drawn by Pepe that we have not covered yet. Love that, dude. Here's the thing. We have covered Pepe Larraz's... I don't want to say best because I, I truly do believe that Pepe Larraz's best work is still in front of him. Um, but I would say most definitive work. I think we can we can pretty safely say we have we have gotten to that point. Unless unless he redefines everything again, which I mean, you know, <laughs> Pepe, more power to you. I I would love to see it personally. Yeah, I mean, when you see what he's doing with X Men now and uh, some of the giant leaps, even, you know, in things that he's trying out now with perspective and, you know, some of the things that he's just like thrown on the page. Uh, I'm just always amazed and, and super happy to engage with what he's doing. Um, but these stories are from earlier times. Um, so where are we starting off here, Zach? We are going to start off here. Uh, with a request. Well, actually, the request was just, hey, do you guys like Pepe Larraz? And we said yes. <laughs> uh, so thank you to Josh Link, who went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, said, folks, I love Pepe Larraz so much, and I know you guys love Pepe Larraz so much, so why don't y'all just talk about Pepe Larraz for 45-odd minutes? <laughs> if you want to be like Josh, you can go over to the Patreon. I've got to fix it. Here's the thing. The Patreon... I've got to fix it. I got to get more. I got to get more for you. But if you don't want more for me, you just want to you just want to thank all of our writers and podcasters and general ne'er-do-wells uh, for all their hard work. You can just go over there anyway. Or if you do the $5 level, you can tell us which artist you want us to scramble to come up with an episode about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's funny uh, reading Wolverine and the X-Men at the time. I, I, I had no recollection that this was a Pepe arc and going back, it's a lot of fun uh, to see how, what do you, how he was drawing then is connecting to how he's drawing now. So this is it's very, it's very weird. This uh, <laughs> three issue arc Wolverine and the X-Men 38 to 40, which mm -hmm. has no title. Um, it's the yeah, one we're going to, what one. are we calling it? Shield invasion. That's what I had written down briefly. Yes. It's the <laughs> one where they have to go invade shield. We'll get there. Jason Aaron writes this, mm -hmm. and Pepe Larraz does the artwork with Matt Milla doing the colors. All I remember, because I was also buying Wolverine and the X-Men at the time, because mm -hmm. I was bad with money. Um, and what <laughs> I had... Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I We've own, been there. Own, We've all been there, buddy. I own five trade paperbacks of this. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> we... <laughs> I didn't even buy it for the Chris Bachelot art. <laughs> I, went with the, I went with the one that... Cured the Nick Bradshaw wrote, had Cyclops it. No, when when Bachelor started. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do that. All I did remember is, oh, this one doesn't have the the good artist on it because it didn't have <laughs> Nick Bradshaw. My I I hold that Nick Bradshaw's a pretty good artist. Yeah. My perspective on which one of them is the good artist has changed <laughs> since 2013. It's it's uh 
changed the battlefield a little bit. But uh, this is right after Battle of the Atom, our namesake. And um, at the end of Battle of the Atom, uh, it was revealed that S.H.I.E.L.D. did have some Sentinels hanging around that they just just on a you know occasion could unleash upon mutants and destroy them. So um, <laughs> this arc... I have to tell you something because I just I said something as a joke and then I realized that it was a truth, actually. Oh, what's that? You know how I said I was purchasing this because I was bad with money? Yeah. I forgot that I bought these three issues the poorest i've ever been like as an adult that's dedication and i felt i felt incredibly guilty and told my wife that i spent 12 of our u.s dollars on (laughs) these x-men comics uh we were it was right after we got married uh i was still in college at the time i'm sorry adam i was still in college at the time and we had no money but you had but you had these three issues i did (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Listen, people don't pirate comics. I don't know why I didn't pirate them because I definitely did for the last issue of Battle of the Atom. Hey, look, the art in that one is uh, pretty terrible. So, uh, oh wait, don't... the last what the last issue of Battle of the Atom that's got a sound remake. Not for the entire issue. There's some Not really, really issue. very bad uh, fill-in art on that issue as well. Which that's fair. That's don't fair. worry. We've talked about that on another episode. Anyway, these are these three. Don't pirate comics, kids. Though Comicsology, man. Amazon, you're making it real difficult for people. Shield has Sentinels. Maria Hill shows up basically to trash talk. In uh, her company is Dazzler, aka Mystique. Mystique is still play, uh, uh, still Dazzler at this point. Um, Wolverine and the X Men as a book. You all remember? Up. You all remember when Dazzler? Uh, yes, Agent Dazzler. Dazzler. Was, yeah, Agent Dazzler, possessed by Mystique for a hot minute and being harvested for uh, mutant growth hormone. Not great. Mutant growth hormone. Not. Yeah. Not the. Not the most ethical thing that Mystique has done. She was it trying was, to run a country. It was a true girl boss moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wolverine takes it upon himself to uh, buy into what is it, clearly a trap um, to go and destroy some of these sentinels that we mentioned before. To be and, fair, they do they do all say, Wolverine, this is a trap. He says, yeah. I and know. he knows it's a trap, as do Cyclops and uh, the Uncanny X-Men cast. So uh, Wolverine and Scott end up at the Sentinel factory, blowing up some Sentinels at the same time that it looks like we have two brand new students at the uh, Jean Grey school who turn out at the end of the first issue to be secret agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that's that's what what's his name? Try Try Joey and uh, Squidface. Yes. Um, Neither of whom are actually mutants. They are just injecting themselves with. Some kind of mutant growth hormone, I think, and pretending to yeah, be mutants. It's it's the mutant growth hormone that they got from Agent Dazzler, who actually got it from the real Dazzler. <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of a weird thing. Um, like for a book that's ending, this book post crossover really feels like a reintroduction to this book. Um, as the whole first issue is a tour of the school with Brew. Brew is delightful here. I know you hate Brew. Um, I don't enjoy brew all that much <laughs> if you're a, a strong word but i really 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 don't like him if you're a brew fan uh like i am you will love issue 38 he is just absolutely delightful um and then we get you know most of the story happening uh with scott and uh logan blowing up sentinels and then yeah, eventually they, uh... crashing and having beer together it's great it's a it's a weird thing you're you're stuck with such weird like the time that this was in, Wolverine doesn't have his healing factor. Right. Yeah. And Cyclops' Even powers he gets are stabbed still and exploded. Up. Yeah. And Cyclops' powers are screwed up from Dark what they Beast. thought was the Phoenix, but was, yeah, it was actually Dark Beast. <laughs> in a man, Bendis, you just, the ending, bud, you, you flopped real, real spectacularly on that. Even if some of these individual issues are still great. They um, are. Man. Can't stick to landing. It's okay. Not. Not well. I mean, that's what happens when you quit a book. But yeah, this one's just bad. Actually, I not bad. You think it's, it's bad? I don't. I don't love the Tri Joey and Squid Face plot. I I think that the Wolverine and Cyclops stuff has some moments, but is also it's also part of that weird thing that Marvel was doing, where Bendis's story was almost very literally about how Cyclops was right. Like mm. like 
it was that no beast super overreacted like that's the point of bendis's story is not that cyclops was actually doing a genocide it was what if we framed all the marketing and stuff around him being a bad guy because that's the story that was being told but then we actually told the real story where cyclops was just doing x-men stuff <laughs> it's definitely proven uh especially because the two of them do come to peace and they have this great moment but of they, just they hanging come, out they come to peace in the most frustrating Jason Aaron Wolverine way, where Jason Aaron's Wolverine has to be better than everybody. Yeah. Uh, and he has to be the best and most understanding and most emotionally mature person. Uh, because this is Wolverine who is finally at peace. Uh, which you which takes away all of the fun and interesting parts about Wolverine and well, the guy he's, who likes whiskey. He's saying he's at that he's like the, the school fixed him or whatever, you know. But whether we buy into that or not is another story. This, the, I, I believe the narrative arc of Wolverine and the X-Men wants mm-hmm. you to believe that. Yes, yes. I, I still think I don't there's think, uh, some room for growth. I don't think it's a stretch. No. No. I think there I think there could be. I don't. We can't get into the writer's intentions here. Doesn't matter. Even though I have so many strong feelings about Jason Aaron's intentions on everything he writes. <laughs> everything. I find these issues kind of enjoyable, um, but I also really like the uh, the artwork here. So Pepe is doing some pretty cool creative things. I can see flashes of what Pepe Larraz will become. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see the pencils and inks of this. Like, that's, to me, I don't know how much of it, because I don't think Matt Miller is coloring Pepe Larraz in a way that is most flattering to him. I think mm-hmm. Mila is trying to mimic like the way you would you would color a Nick Bradshaw, trying to keep consistency with the book. Sure, which I I understand and I don't want to say agree with, but like that's that's a route that you could take and that a lot of books do take and makes sense, especially when Pepe Larraz at this point is a young villain artist. Like this is this is the first book where he's had any sort of like that isn't a miniseries that he's had any sort of big sustain i guess he had the mighty thor mm-hmm. right before this yeah uh, but but again just a, a small like couple issues and then had he done canaan by this time no he hadn't he yeah. does okay so this that he jumps over that. to he jumps over to deadpool versus x-force that we've talked about does a couple right. of issues on inhuman then then uh he does he does uh some of the like half of the story to Avengers Rage of Ultron, the original mm-hmm. graphic novel that became way more important than anyone expected it to be. <laughs> yeah. Hank Pym, still an Ultron. So weird. Still an Ultron after all these years. Yep. Then he then he did uh Kanan, the Star Wars book based on the children's show for babies. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Rebels. Yeah, you can definitely see uh what you know Pepe's capable of here in a couple of spots. Uh some of the splash pages that he's doing here. There's a really cool two-page splash where Brew shows off this like main uh open atrium area mm-hmm. in the school. Um there's another huge splash page with uh Scott and Logan jumping at Sentinels, attacking them, and you could just see like Pepe's going for it already. Um he's he's illustrating uh the characters with a lot of like cartoon fluency like the way in which they are animated and their expressions um are are changing but he's still able to keep characters on model really well but he's not quite there yet there's some interesting like pepe larraz's specific stylistic touches that you can see Mm -hmm. like i think squid face is like a very pepe larraz looking character yeah and i i also think she gets the liberty of being colored in a way that more matches how i think of pepe larraz's art today mm-hmm. you can see every little bit like just a tiny bit you get a little bit of like that thumbprint texture that yeah. he likes to give to things <laughs> yeah you get you get some of his stylistic markers but i don't know i I wonder how much in this book he is trying to be withholding to the style of this book versus trying to do Pepe Larraz. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think we said this when we uh, did Deadpool versus X-Force. You know, his style at this time still has a much more cartoony sensibility. You know, edges are much rounder. He doesn't do as many sharp angles. And uh, you can see like the beginnings of what some of the hallmarks are of his facial uh drawing like the way he draws faces the way he does acting with those characters and the expressions that they have 
but it's not as tight yet you know like he's still very uh, um loose and experimenting with where his style will lock into later so i think it's still like really good page layouts really good um well, page layouts, that's that's interesting because I was going to say that I feel I don't feel like his page layouts are all the way there yet either. Like he's not just no. doing, he's he's not just doing like four horizontal panels or a two by six or two by three grid yeah. or anything like that. But he's he's trying things, though. You know, he'll do little uh, inserts or close ups on objects. And that's you know, fair. It's just it's just not in. it's just not. I got high expectations for Pepe Larraz at this point because I've been blessed we have been blessed with pepe laraz the problem in looking back at his art is when you can see how good he is whereas if even at the time i i remember looking at this and going this looks really good it looks different than the art adams-esque style of nick bradshaw but these issues still look pretty solid and i'd like to see more of this artist but he's not at a level where you're like this is like the standout god that he is now it's almost like going back and looking at early Bill Sienkiewicz work. Hmm. Like, that's interesting. Where it's more towards a house style. Well, early Bill Sienkiewicz is very much doing a Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. Now, yeah. Neil Adams, a more experimental artist of his time anyway, so you still get a bit, but you don't get some of the... You don't get Bill Sienkiewicz stepping into his own for a few years. You get You get flashes of it. Like, if you read This Is Timely... If you read his Moon Knight, mm-hmm. uh, which I read a few years back, there are there are pages that you you understand. There's one page I think it's in issue eight of Moon Knight where it's a nine panel grid, and there's a guy in the center panel, and he's firing like 360 degrees around him as Moon Knight is jumping from panel to panel around to like deliver a big punch. There's a hint of it there. Yeah, you can it's see. Just, you can see him experimenting, and I think you can see that here as as well. Um, and I think I think a sign of a good like artistic director or a good talent management or editor with a, the big two would be able to see the fundamentals and the potential for a guy like Pepe Larraz. Oh yeah, and be like, oh, you're not the guy today. <laughs> You've right. got what you need to be the guy, though. Exactly. Like, we're looking at someone who's sort of in the Stuart Immerman family of of drawing, and, you know, you, could, you can see that there's some brilliance here that is going to uh, capitalize later. On, honestly, very sim- similar to Arby Silva. That like, too. Yeah. There's some both definite similarities. Both of whom similarities. just blew up. Just blew up yeah. after this. So, like... I think I like this better than you, but at the same token, it's not like the best thing in the world, but it's a really cool artifact, uh, especially in terms of looking at Pepe's career. We should probably rank this. We should, because we have a whole list. Um, We have 615 X-Men stories that we have ranked over our time running this uh, podular catch, cast, iPod, this interwebs, internet, (laughs) internet, pod, Radio what, show. What's pod short for in iPod? Um, it's not. Is it? Is it's, it short for something? I guess Person- pod is its own word. Personal this internet. Or- <laughs> this internet pod broadcast. Man, that's the worst thing to expand out. <laughs> Don't do that, people. Number one's Hawkspox. Pepe Larraz also drew that. I'm gonna. We don't normally do this. I'm going to take a bold stance and say Pepe Larraz's work on Hawkspox, Eclipses, Wolverine, and the X-Men. I would agree. I would agree. Number 100 on our list is the Terra Verde arc of X-Force by Ben Percy and Joshua Kassara. Uh Number 200 on our list is Uncanny X-Men 245 Men. Number 300 on our list is Uncanny X-Men 300. That's fun. That's mm. fun. That. That's a that's a fun little coincidence. The three hundred's the three hundred right now. Look at that, people. We got we got something nice going on. Number four hundred is that. Extraordinary X Men Apocalypse War. Number five hundred on this list is Nova Twenty Two. That's when they go Halloween. I wanted to say shopping. It's called trick or treat. Number <laughs> six hundred is Hyperstorm Arc of Fantastic Four. Six fifteen's the Draco. This is better than Hyperstorm. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's better than Nova. Yeah, I think. Um... We have Wolverine and the X-Men 30 to 35, the Hellfire Saga at 231, 
And this is probably not as good as that. Hellfire Saga is better, even if the Hellfire Saga has major a issues. Of content. Um, the Hellfire Saga does also have Krakoa, the island that walks like a man, fighting back to back with an Iceman Voltron. Yeah, which there are some listen. cool things in that for sure. Down at two fifty eight, we have Spider Man and the X Men one and two uh, versus um, Sauron. That, that's better. That's better. Uh. I'm looking around here. I think 307 is Astonishing X-Men 13 through 17 until our hearts stop. Mm -hmm. The Matt Rosenberg stuff. While that has bad art, um, I do think I like the story of that one better. Yeah, I would agree. I probably like this better than 318 Spider-Man and the X-Men 4 through 5, the Venom Brood Science Fair arc. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so... That was during, that was ranked during the times when Adam wasn't reading the comics. That's okay. I think this is better than Truth or Death at 310. Do you think it's better than XL from the Peter David X-Factor? Mm, as loath as I am to give Peter David uh, the uh, props, I think that might be better. You know, you don't... Gotta give it to him. But also, it is, it is a better story than him. But it is. So, uh, 310, not bad. 310, listen, an interesting start for Mr. Laraz. And the start would continue because about a year later, Pepe would do an anthology story, just one anthology story, in Axis Revolutions number three. Now, Adam... Normally, when there's anthology books like this, or at least the one other time we've covered it, we covered all the stories at the same time, mm -hmm. and we didn't want to do that this time because no. Pepe Larraz only drew one of them. That's right. Uh, it's Plus Revolutions number three by Larraz. Ray Fox wrote it. Rodrigo Zayas does inks, which is weird to see anyone ink over Pepe. Yeah, because you know Pepe's usually inking his own work. I mean, Pepe, yeah, Pepe works digitally for the most part. Yeah, and it's also... Or with ballpoint pens. It's one or the other. <laughs> it's very strange to see uh, Pepe getting an assist on a story this short. Like, you would just assume that he would just, like, knock these pages out, but they're, they're, it's almost like... <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty sure... Hold on, I want to see... I'm looking I'm looking at the big old list of all the stuff Pepe Larraz has done. Where is it? Where? Yeah, this was in between his Inhumans couple of issues and mm -hmm. Rage of Ultron. And then, uh, oh yeah, also in between his, or before starting Kanan. So, or Kanan. Uh, which Kanan. Oh, Kanan started a few months later. He was probably good. But yeah, I'm guessing, I'm guessing Laraz was just uh, fairly, yeah, he had some Inhumans books right before this and then Rage of Ultron pretty soon after it. So maybe he was just busy. I, that's possible. Um, this is a very short story that um, involves Kitty Pride shooting Uzis and robbing a bank. Yes, you heard that correctly. <laughs> yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. For the folks who don't know about Axis, that's when that's when uh, the axis of all the heroes' morality got flipped. Apparently, um, it turns Where... out <laughs> there's only good and evil, and you're either one or the other. And if there is a magic spell, you'll get flipped to be the exact opposite. There's no, there's no gray areas in Axis. No. Um, now, there is a purpose for Kitty Pride stealing from this bank uh, that's explained kind of awkwardly that uh, the CEO of the bank has been funneling billions out of accounts into federal anti-mutant lobbies. So she's stealing from the bank, even though the bank holds the money for the people who bank at the bank? I don't know. Uh, okay, so let's talk about how banks work. We're this is yeah Midtown Savings Bank. So let's assume that this is this is like a, your standard neighborhood bank, which right, I believe right. is the thing. So I don't know how their CEO was funneling that money out, or what Kitty was hoping to do by stealing money from the bank, because all of that money should be FDIC. Insured. I was just gonna say it's FDIC insured. So what is the point of this? and money is in like a bank's money is not actually physical money people we have evolved past physical money we are not i'm not i'm not doing a bitcoin thing it's just like most banks are like money is stored in computers as a, as data yeah saying this person has this much money 
and the the actual paper money gets circulated in and out and uh, over to the Fed. And when there is a run on a bank, it's liter- it's not because they literally do not have money like we're in the 1930s anymore where people are taking all of their physical money out of the bank in physical stuff. It means that the bank does not have enough assets because they have been investing that money elsewhere. So perhaps the bank was legally investing its people's money into anti-mutant things but that seems like a weird stretch also weird that the ceo is in this branch and that also Kitty weird. steals a safety deposit box like with pearls in it i none of this makes a damn bit of sense listen ray fox is apparently a uh like a good writer who's written like won awards for writing okay I don't know. I don't know I don't either know about this one. I think it also begs uh, some questions about Kitty's powers. I uh, posted the splash page of Kitty firing the Uzis through the bank teller window. And people rightly ask some very intelligent questions about how she could fire the Uzi while phasing through something. Obviously, the Uzis would be phasing too. Would the bullets be phasing? Uh, but she's just, she's, that one, <laughs> one. One, this is made up stories for babies. <laughs> two, <laughs> two, she can like, she she doesn't have to be like 100% phased all of her parts all at once. Is that, well, that was going to be my question. Can That's Kitty not, phase yeah. certain parts of her body without yes. phasing entirely? Absolutely. And phase individual objects without phasing the rest of her body? Yes. Kitty Pride could absolutely Put a gun through the wall and start shooting if she so chose. Hmm. Okay. okay. I just thought, I thought you, honestly, Adam, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay off of Twitter yeah. as much as possible. Yes. I've mm-hmm. been in a lot of airports recently. So people, if you see me tweet, <laughs> don't judge me. They can't see you tweet. All right. Continue. No, it's so important. It's so important that no one's ever allowed to see me tweet anymore. Uh, but when I saw that you posted that on the, on Twitter, I thought, man, does Adam, Adam just not like Pepe Larraz's art here? I mean, I guess the inks are a little weird, but I'm not like, it's whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, the real point of posting it was that it is buckwild to see Kitty Pride firing uh, automatic weapons um, in any context. So this story is very dumb. And um, Pepe is doing a fine job, uh, draws a really good police car. But, like, the anatomy is weird in certain spots. Uh, it's but just... cashing a paycheck. Yeah, dude's cashing a this, this is just like, but I thought it was important that we drop this one in because it is a very weird oddity and, a, and an important step of like more fill in stuff that then gets his name out there. Also important. We ran out of stories that we could cover that Pepe Larraz drew. So we were <laughs> going to potentially uh, cover a good chunk of the Ed Briss and Dylan Burnett X-Force because Pepe did the covers. <laughs> right. So at least this is interior we, artwork. We but, were struggling, honestly. Yeah. We thought we'd have more, but we, but at the time of recording, X Men is not done yet. No, like it's still telling one, it's still telling a story. So I don't know how we'd want to break that down. Honestly, we'd probably break it down into X Men Year One. Yep. J- you know, Doug and X Men Year One, Doug and X Men Year Two, or something like that. And Ten of Swords. I'm not covering Ten of Swords right now. That's twenty two <laughs> freaking issues, and I'm busy. I love yeah. Ten of Swords. I'm super excited for the one issue Ten of Swords that they're doing in X Men uh, House of Ninety Two. It's going to be really cool. I'm excited about that. So uh, instead of doing Ten of Swords, we did this ten pager, and um, I think it's safe to say you can skip this one, right? You can. You can literally. Actually, no. You don't. You can't skip everything in Axis Revolutions, even though you probably should. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one story in Axis Revolutions uh, that we aren't covering today officially that you must read at some point. Uh, it's in the fourth issue. It's a uh, it's an Iceman story. Do you want to do you want to elaborate? <laughs> no. Is this because it's good or bad? Oh no! It's I. Mm, that's such a good question, Adam. That is such a good question. <laughs> Iceman becomes a, a brooding nighttime vigilante, a Batman or a Daredevil or a Moon Knight, if you would. Oh. He does monologues to himself yeah. uh, about how he can't feel love because his heart is so cold. Wow. He's trying to be the straightest I've ever seen a man be. <laughs> Gosh, I cannot tell what John Barber was trying to do with this story because it it's not it 
it's played almost too straight mm. to be a like full on parody. I don't know. It's a weird story. You should yeah. check it out. I, I go read that one. Go I read guess read three. that. Don't read the the backup story to that, which is a Howard Chaykin story. Um. Okay. Oh, uh, I Adam. <laughs> I think I've read. Like I know I've read that story multiple times. I'll tell you. Anytime I see Howard Chaykin, I'm like, I don't want to read this. I don't like <laughs> Howard Chaykin art. Like end of the day. I That's... get that, like, Jack Staff or whatever was... Amer- did he do Jack Staff or did he do American Flag? American Flag. Who did Jack Staff? Paul Grist. That's Thank Paul you. Grist. Yeah. Who did The Union? Which, happy, happy St. Patrick's Day as we record this, everybody. <laughs> Please remember Snakes, the Marvel character that's a bunch of snakes that uh, St. Patrick did not uh, cast out of Ireland. Right. And Also, the best character. Yes. Also, St. Patrick is Italian. That's anyway, just what I heard. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. And I don't, I don't know care. if that's I'm more upsetting Irish. to Italians or anything else. This just, is bad, right? Like just during the this po- is Yeah, oh, this 10-pager is bad. Uh I think we are down uh pretty low here. It's not like offensive okay. or anything. 501 is that Nova story. That Nova story is better. Mm-hmm. The X-Men movie special number 1 uh presented by Wizards of the Coast, the company behind Magic the Gathering. Um, that, that one's better. Yeah. Is this as bad as like, well, okay. I think this isn't as fun as uh brood feud two at five eleven. No, this isn't as good as the star Trek crossovers. No, you're right. You're right. All right. We'll keep them working down. Is this better? Oh, you're, oh, okay. Yeah. It's not as bad as at five forty two, uh, Captain Marvel number Captain two Marvel and three. two and three. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, I don't think this is as bad as X Men Noir or Weapon X Noir at five thirty six. I'm, I'm gonna, forward. I'm gonna say something that upsets me to say out loud, but is true. Yeah, that Romulus story is better in Wolverine Origins. Oh sure, yeah. I think this is better than the time Beast joined the Avengers. Is it, it better or worse no, than I'm... the first six issues of Emma Frost? It's better than that, but it's worse than Secret Empire, uh, X Men Blue. Okay, so it's going to be our new five thirty one. It'll be five thirty one. Let's make it five thirty one, buddy. Awesome. Okay, so we have one more Pepe story that is a personal favorite of mine, and I am very excited to talk about it. Why are you so excited to talk about it? Um. All right. So around the time that Uncanny Avengers was coming out, I remember the initial run and being like. As, especially with the discourse added to it, I was like, what the heck is this, right? Uh, it was a terrible, terrible book. And then... Okay, hold on, hold on, because you're not wrong. I'm, but I'm also, right. also, I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough that Uncanny Avengers 18 to 22 Avenge the Earth is at 59 on our list. Dude, that arc really rocks all right and we've talked about why uncanny avengers was a terrible book but that, that was a really art. really awesome arc with daniel acuna art um, we have not talked about the call me alex speech I can't <laughs> wait for we that. will get there we will get there Someday. however what i kept hearing from people was that there was another volume of uncanny, uh, uncanny avengers that was coming out that was being written by deadpool scribe jerry duggan that i would love and when I kept asking why, why in the world would I want to visit this terrible book with this terrible cast, I was informed that Cable was in it. And that, I, was, that was a secret, actually. And I started reading this awesome, awesome volume of comics, which uh, culminates pretty much with this arc, um, which ties up the ridiculous and awful first story of the Uncanny Avengers, which involves Red Skull putting Xavier's dead brain into his and getting his telepathic powers. Man, that went on for years. Right? Right? But this wraps up... That went on for like five years. This wraps up in one of the most enjoyable and delightful ways that I think it possibly could have. And uh, I was reading this like as it was coming out and just loving this story this this book felt at the time like the x book that we were not getting anywhere else i struggle with uncanny avengers because not it's not just that it's an avengers book but the the cast of this avengers book is filled with characters that i don't particularly care for from the x-men side you got rogue and cable Mm -hmm. which great love them love them 
you got Deadpool, who's kind of in between, but I, I tend to enjoy Jerry Duggan's Deadpool. Don't think it's perfect. Do tend to enjoy it. The rest of the team is Dr. Voodoo, who I know people love, and I just don't. <laughs> I just don't. It's the Human Torch, who is the worst member of the Fantastic Four. And admits it in this arc. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, if you have to go up against The Thing, like, number one, The you Thing. You will lose. Number two, The Invisible Woman. Number three, Reed Richards. When written by Jonathan Hickman, mostly, but also all other times. He's a bad... Reed Richards is not a good man. He's way more interesting than Johnny Storm. Uh, and then it's Johnny Storm. Also, Quicksilver, who mm-hmm. I just don't care for. And then a character named Synapse, who is... Inhuman. An inhuman. So mm-hmm. I, I already hated her, because it was the bad times. Also, Captain America, but it's the Captain America um, who's controlled by a Nazi. But he's not on the team in this arc. That, that no, he has left at this point. Yes. Now, to your point, I had the very same opinion looking at the roster of this book and knowing past uh, iterations of this, uh, you know, this this concept of the Unity Squad or whatever. But I think what's really fascinating about this run is that it made me actually like things. I hated Deadpool. I have never enjoyed Deadpool until I saw this run and I was like, oh, Deadpool can be actually and kind of enjoyable and fun and incorporated into stories in ways that I enjoy. Uh, you, you should you should actually read Jerry's Deadpool. I, like I don't know, you know, I've still thought about it, doing. It's that. like a hundred and twenty issues. There's a lot of it. Yeah, the way that Cable is incorporated into the story is fantastic from the from the get, and the rogue that Jerry writes throughout this run is just fantastic. I honestly wonder if he underwrites Rogue in his X-Men mm-hmm. because he he has already written enough Rogue. Like, he he loves Rogue, but he's written so much Rogue stuff in this that he didn't want her to, like, steal the spotlight. I, I like, honestly don't know. I don't know. know if he was just trying to focus on other characters or what. Not sure. I like his Rogue. Yeah. So, we... Uh have art duties shared here on this arc this is uncanny avengers 18 to 23 and uh pepe is doing every other issue with uh kevin labranda uh doing the art on the uh the non-pepe issues and i, I like kevin's art on too. a couple of them he does yeah he kevin does like two of them two mm-hmm. i think yeah i uh also rodrigo zayas does a little bit of some fill-in stuff on one of the issues yes but I I don't know. Liberanda's art gets to like a weird exaggeration point that I don't love on occasion. Okay. But general, generally it's pretty congruous with the rest of uh, what Pepe Larraz is doing. And what Pepe Larraz is doing, stunning. Uh, yeah. Pepe's I think work is so good. <laughs> we're starting to hit like peak, you know, we're starting to really like get into this era where you totally get why he's going to become the superstar that he is now um yeah because the the story itself revolves around them having to finally confront red skull red skull has taken over the former avengers mansion which is now turned into a cosplay hotel (laughs) um is it a good idea no is disney still doing this yes it's hilarious and really what ends up happening is uh red skull takes over this team and deadpool kind of has to recruit the backup team which includes people like uh wong and uh spider-man and spider-man who was on the cover of the first issue and quit because deadpool was on the team (laughs) right he's like nope i'm not working with deadpool it's a great gag um to the point where cable actually seemingly erases himself uh, to stop being controlled by Red Skull. So the story is simultaneously funny, but action-packed, and also feels like it has stakes. It does. I'll say that. It feels... It doesn't feel like the biggest thing that's going on. Like, this doesn't feel like it's shaking the Marvel Universe to its core. No. It does feel like this is important. And it's important to wrap up this story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's bad that the Red Skull has Charles Xavier's brain. It was gross. And, like, I'm not I'm not saying, like, ethically this is terrible. It was just kind of like a bad, dumb story beat. And we needed to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And it was gross when, they, when that was the cliffhanger of, this is a man's brain. Like, 
slaughterhouse gore exploded, but not in a funny way, like in pathosy way. And it's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So I like the way this is done. Um, the arc also concludes with a pretty stirring uh, goodbye when um, Red Skull is finally taken out. Rogue brings his body to Beast to do emergency brain surgery. And uh, once we learn that that's successful and she gets past Hydra Cap, she... Oh, yeah, because Captain America does not want rogue to have uh, the red skull's brain and she's like sugar i'm a i'm a i'm gonna destroy this <laughs> so there's this amazing sequence of rogue taking this small box into the atmosphere into the clouds and having the human torch just like cremate it up there um leading to one of i think still one of pepe larraz's most beautiful uh, splash pages of Rogue just taking a minute to remember Xavier up in the sky. I mean, I, I tell you what, Pepe's art here is, it's just fantastic. Like, this is this is when I saw, oh, he could be, like, he's a good artist. Like, I saw him as a guy I would be excited to see. Mm-hmm. And that only, that only continued after this when he would jump on things like Extermination, uh, the, the Avengers, uh, crap. What's it called? Uh, no, the Avengers No Surrender. Arc, oh, right, yeah. Uh, that he was doing, which has some fantastic splash pages. Also, Pepe Larraz draws a good Rogue. <laughs> like, I almost wish Rogue wasn't in her Jim Lee costume in X Men right now, so Pe- we could get Pepe Larraz drawing that like two thousand two, not two thousand two, like two thousand seven Rogue. Mm-hmm. You know, with like the cloak. Yep. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I just, it's beautiful. There's that incredible page of her overlooking new york city uh remembering xavier and it it brings the entire uncanny avengers run full circle but adds a nice little fun thing at the end where rogue kind of gives deadpool like a win deadpool who has been the butt monkey of this entire team who has been mistreated and disrespected and i'm not saying that Deadpool doesn't bring on some of this for himself. He also does not get treated well by a lot of people. Right. And Rogue realizes that, oh no, he's like, he's like down deep, a good dude. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's feeling flirty and vulnerable and all this stuff and gives him a kiss. And again, beautiful splash page. (laughs) Yes. To the point where... It shouldn't be beautiful, which is so frustrating. Like, Pepe's... (laughs) killing it here and i'm mad at him for it because he sells it jerry's already sold like them having not a relationship but like but a hookup you yeah like like an attraction to one another yes and uh rogue absorbs uh enough of deadpool's you know eternal what is it is he it's is it cancer is it what is it supposed to be anyway deadpool's uh, got cancer but he also has a healing factor but his healing factor is too powerful Right. Uh, so he's lucky he has the cancer that the healing factor has to always fight. Yes. So we get to the point where uh, Deadpool is turned back into Mr. Handsome. Um, Rogue looks like she's about to drop dead. And because of this, Wonder Man pops out. <laughs> okay, so back in Uncanny <laughs> Avengers Volume 2, Rogue absorbed Wonder Man. Mm-hmm. At, no, it was in Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Rogue absorbed Wonder Man uh, as the excuse for how we can give Rogue her 90s powers back. Right. Because everyone was tired of coming up with excuses for why Rogue could do all the things we knew Rogue could do. And Jerry Duggan does come up with a, hey, Wonder Man's not in your body anymore, but you still got, I still got my powers. (laughs) It's like, don't worry. (laughs) Hey, shut up. Don't think about it. And then Kelly Thompson made us think about it in Mr. and Mrs. X, given her weird powers that are never brought up again. I still really love that callback um, to this because it's still just so funny. Um, the other thing that happens, which is interesting at the end of this that I had kind of forgotten about, is that Synapse recovers Cable's body or, or mind, which was backed up in his arm. I kind of forgot about that. And so we have this whole sequence like inside Cable's mind of strife and days of future future and if past and it's it's an interesting sequence that Pepe delivers in a really interesting way. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It makes me it makes me want to see more from Synapse. Mm-hmm. Um 
which is a hard thing to say about an inhuman character from the mid to late 2010s. I'm telling you, that's the one thing that always amazed me about this run is it made me care about characters that normally I don't think I'd care about at all. Um, okay, but here's the here's the thing: the character we care about most in this run is still Rogue, followed by Cable, and then Deadpool, who is the next closest X Man. That's true. Like you're talking about the fourth best one. <laughs> you um, really are. Yeah. So I don't think I mentioned this before, but uh, is it David Curiel doing the colors? David Curiel does the colors. Absolutely beautiful color work on this. Um, I am. I it's hard to divorce Monte Gracia from mm-hmm. the conversation when I'm thinking who should color Pepe Larraz, but I do think Curiel is one of the best colorists out there right now. Yeah. And when when uh, Marte uh, was ill and could not finish the last issue of Hox Pox, like. I remember we were a, a group of friends. I forget who all was in it. There's a lot of conversations. We're talking about, well, like, who do they get to color the last one? Like, who would be good? And David Curiel was the only name on my list. I was like, that's that's who you get. You get right. Curiel. Yep. He's the right one. So props. Um, and one last thing before we uh, rank this one. Uh, there's a really fun Jerry Duggan cameo at the end of this as well. <laughs> There are more Jerry Duggan cameos in things than you would expect. Yeah, pops up all the time. Him and JDW are just like uh, cast okay, members. Well, one of those is because one of them has a funny mustache. <laughs> friend of the show, friend of the show, Jordan White has a funny mustache. We can call Jerry a friend of the show, but you guys will never hear why. That's okay. Jerry has uh, expressed desire to come back, so we'll get him on the show. Um, I is that a is that a is that a Jerry Duggan teaser? It, well, it is for an episode we haven't scheduled yet, but I'm sure that he will join us again. I really like this. I like this a lot. Let's rank this. Yeah, let's rank this. Um, it's not in the top 100. Well, 100, we have the Terra Verde arc of X Force. Um, Terra the Verde is better. But it's it, the Terra Verde arc is better. Okay. I'm not saying okay. this isn't good. I think I think this is the top in the top 200. Yeah, I just don't I think, think it, it definitely. I don't has think it's to top. Be. Here's the thing. Here's a great comparison point. 170 is extermination. Mm. Pepe Larraz art. Yep. A story that doesn't all the way hold up together, but it is better. Pepe Larraz art, like exterminations, when he stepped it up. Oh, definitely. Actually, no. I do. I do think it's no way home. Or no surrender, but yeah, extermination. He does step it up though. Sure, art's better. I like this story better. This is better than Battle of the Adam at one thirty or one seventy three. Yeah, so I don't. This think, is better. I can't put it above Cable Blood and Metal at one sixty five. I can put it above Avengers versus X Men at one sixty seven. Oh sure, okay, that's good. All right, better or worse than? I, see, I like this better than the first five issues of Amazing X Men. What do you think about that? Me too, bud. All right, great. So this is a very nice showing to finish off uh, with uh, 166 on Kenny Avengers 18 to 23. Folks, if you're an X-Men fan and you ignored that volume, I highly recommend you go back and check it out. It is. I mildly recommend you check it out. (laughs) I actually think most of the other arcs are bad. Uh, At at least at least read the the stuff that that Pepe is doing in the second half. Once Cable shows up, it's a lot of fun. I don't. The first arc is actively not very great, and Stegman's art just isn't doing what it needs to. Like Ryan Stegman's a good artist. Uh, That arc, I don't know. It just something wasn't clicking. And then there's like an Ultron Hank Pym story that I don't care about. And then Hulk's a zombie for a little bit, and I don't care about that. Then it gets to this, and then the book's done, and then Jim Zub takes it over. And then it's bad. I would say a lot of what you described. I agree with you on the first arc, but the other stuff is kind of fun too. So um, mileage may vary. Go check it out. I have a very low tolerance for Hank Pym content. <laughs> it's not even, it's, it's not just the normal stuff. It's just that I don't like the dude in general. Yeah. Especially when he's like, beyond that, it's like, I don't guys, I don't care about Hank Pym. Can we give it to, the other Ant-Man. <laughs> Where's that Scott I guess just, I guess just Scott. Mm, yeah. Let, mm. Is Hank Pym the worst Ant-Man or is he the second worst? Because Eric O'Grady is very bad, actually. I don't know my Ant-Man, so I can't contribute to this conversation. Well, there's three. Yeah. 
And you should buy the Tom Riley Al Ewing Ant Man miniseries when it comes out. Yeah, that in looks fun. June. Yeah. Uh, it looks it looks like it. Did I tell you I got some Tom Riley art Re- that I procured? Really? Of what? Yeah, I procured some uh, from uh, Marvel Visions uh, Ooh, X-Men. Very uh, nice. The, the thing that Jay Edison did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a scene in that where an air conditioning unit is falling off of a crane, and I have that. I know that scene. That's great. Very cool. It's. I was like, I know. I now have a wall. Like one of one of my walls has two pieces of art on it on either side of my French doors, <laughs> uh, and on one side is that, and the other is a piece from X Men '92. And I was like, oh look, these are the X Men comics that the two podcasts most influential in my podcast uh <laughs> they're one of their hosts did so now that's on my wall there you go you got, i have a you whole wall covered. of my podcast inspiration <laughs> oh boy but i live a weird life i live a weird life it's okay it's all right hey bud what are we covering next week oh geez let's take a look i don't even know don't we have a guest oh, next could... week yeah, we kind of have a guest. Uh, it's a guest that's been a long time coming. You could say they are the once in future uh, guest on this show. Uh, it's Kieran Gillen, folks. Woo! Kieran's going to be here. We're going to talk about Immortal X-Men. And by talk about Immortal X-Men, I mean maybe we talk about Britpop in <laughs> D&D for like two hours. Who knows what's going to happen? Maybe I'll ask him about Unit. I could talk to Kieran Gillen about Unit a lot. Should be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited to be like, so Kieran Gillen, uh, this one random issue of your first, of your second run, not run, but your second volume of Uncanny X-Men, uh, is what I think is my favorite X-Men story ever, or at least one that's weirdly meaningful to me. What do you think about that? And he'll be like, why? <laughs> that one? Really? Kieran's I, confused about what you're asking. Kieran, uh. Kieran made fun of our website recently in a, in a jovial way, mm-hmm. in a jovial way, because we had a we quote unquote, down. yeah. We had a critical error. We had a crash. It what calling our site having a critical area era is the funniest way we could have gone down. <laughs> like the irony was not lost on any of us. Also, uh, a thousand thanks to friend of the show and friend of the me and you and all of us, Jason Large, who fixed it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. You're the best. Adam, what's up? Beyond Kieran Gillen coming up and uh, bothering us soon. What are we got oh, going oh, on? Uh, I don't know. Follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, tune in for Kieran Gillen next week. Guys, it's, it's, it's Kieran Gillen. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's make Kieran feel welcome. And let's really hope he's not doing research before <laughs> and listening to the end of this episode where we have grossly lost track of how to end a podcast. And I hope... Through the magic of editing, it somehow makes sense. <laughs> Patreon, do it. <laughs> Comics XF, do it. Kieran Gillen, get funky. Until next time, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!